I toyed around with the idea of uh, using the word the whole truth. Uh, but I, I sort of backed away from that from the standpoint of one, there's not any one passage in Scripture that tells you everything about the Holy Spirit, right? There's, there, there's not one passage. And it sounds a little arrogant for me to stand up here and say, I'm going to tell you the whole truth about, about the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I, I kind of thought the idea of the real truth, although the idea of the, the whole truth, the, the idea of the whole truth about the Holy Spirit to keep us something. I guess what I was thinking was this, you know, uh, in, in the followers of Jesus, uh, it seems to me that one of the real challenges that can keep us from stumbling for me is uh, to know what is God's part and what is my part. Anybody ever struggle with that? You know? What is the Holy Spirit's part in this matter, and what's my part? Uh, that is a struggle for me. I, I think uh, people stumble in their Christian life over that uh, because um, they can't keep those straight. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and they teach at Mid-America, where I teach, and, uh, and uh, at least this week, and uh, uh, they said to me, they said, uh, you know, I'm just really uh, troubled and disturbed. And I said, why is that? They said, because uh, while I'm teaching, the students are doing this. I said, well, welcome to midterm, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, they're tired and they're, they're, not, uh, they're not interested at this point. They're just tired and, and they were really troubled. They said, you know, um, I just feel like I'm not getting through. And I said, you know, here's the, here's the deal. What's your part? Your part's to teach as faithfully as you know how, to be as creative as you can. You know, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, people, when they say, I don't like, I don't want to study theology, what they're probably saying is, I don't want to study boring theology, right? I don't want to study anything boring. Uh, uh, said, you know, so, so here they are, and they're not, and I said, so what is your part to teach and to, to be as faithful to Scripture as you can? Well, what's God's part to make the difference in their life, right? And that's a challenge, isn't it? To know what is your part, what's my part, and it's like the whole idea of it, that the whole, the whole food market, you know? We, we talk about whole foods. We, we talk about the whole truth about the Holy Spirit. Uh, when, I'm, when I go to Whole Foods, you know, I'm, I'm looking for stuff that's the true thing, the real thing. Uh, no GMOs, whatever that means, you know? I, I was looking the other day, I thought I was feeling pretty good about myself. I bought something that said no geno genetically modified organisms, but it's kettle popcorn, you know? So, <laughs> It wasn't like Brussels sprouts. It was, I'm thinking, this is health food, Beck. There are no additives. There are no, 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 this is no GMOs, no additives. You know, 18 things of sugar, but, you know. Uh, but whole food, we, we want the whole food. We, you know, there's a lot of a struggle about that, about eating whole food, not stuff that's all modified. Uh, we go to different places now, and they talk about that their food is clean and uh uh, although their chef isn't, you know, he's back there, you know, picking stuff up off the floor. I got a terrible story, but I'm not going to tell it. Here we go. Um, but the idea, the whole, the the, the whole food, with the real stuff, the 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 real stuff, not something that's got all these food colorings and and all of these additives and GMOs and things that's going to cause you to grow a third eye. You know, we're, we're worried about that, and I, I I'm with you. So the truth, the whole truth, or the real truth. Uh, about the Holy Spirit. I, I, uh, I texted a friend this morning. I said, I, I don't know where my brain goes half the time with this stuff, but, but when I'm thinking about that, the whole truth, I'm thinking this. <laughs> we know this guy. Yeah. 
Although I said, I want to be careful that I don't associate this picture with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? I don't want you to think of Jack Nicholson now when we talk about the Holy Spirit. You can't handle it. Anyway, we know that. But when we look at the scripture here about the, the whole truth or the, the real truth about the Holy Spirit, there are several things in here as I look at this. By the way, you may know or you may not know, this section we're in right now, 1526 to 1615, is the largest section in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. It's going to take us a while. I just get you prepared. We, maybe we'll be ready when we get to the chapel. And, uh, but, but this is the largest section. John 14 has a section, but this is the largest section in Scripture that reveals the truth about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to, I'm going to stay with that. The real truth or the whole truth. Not that there aren't other passages and other places we should consult, but this really is that magnum opus, this, this large section here uh, as it relates uh, to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to start reading in John 15, 26. We ended last week with, uh, about, that they, about Jesus and uh, the, the persecution. He said, when the, when the helper comes, now NIV says advocate, uh, 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 King James says comforter. We're going to come back to this word because it's, it's pretty hard to translate. Uh, it's a fairly uh, uh, wide-ranging term. But when the, Holy, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you've been with me from the beginning. These things I've spoken to you, we've already said this, that they might not keep you from stumbling. They're going to take you before the synagogues. They're going to make you an outcast. But an hour is coming when everyone who kills you think you're offering service to God. Remember we said that the real opposition to Jesus, the real persecution to Jesus was not the world. It was the religious world. Right here it says, what are they going to do? They're going to make an outcast from the synagogue. They're going to kill. This is religious bigotry at its best. These things they will do because they do not know the Father. Verse 4, these things I've spoken to you so that when the hour comes, you'll remember that I told you these things. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Now watch this. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask where you're going. But because of this, I've said these things. You have sorrow that fills your heart. But I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage if I go away. For if I don't go, the helper, the advocate, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose that to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father are mine, therefore I said to you, he takes of mine, Holy Spirit, and disclose it to you. Now that's a long section. We're not going to get through that today, so relax, okay? <laughs> Calm down. Uh, did that. But in this matter of the Holy Spirit, this section, I want to raise the real truth or the whole truth, and when I say the whole truth, I'm, I'm talking about the unvarnished truth about the Holy Spirit, although there are other passages. Here's the first one. Number one, promise of the Spirit. 
Notice what Jesus said here. When the Holy Spirit or when the Helper comes. When, not if. When. When. Now this is a statement here that I want to suggest to you that suggests the matter of the promise of the Spirit. That this is not something new. This is not a new idea. If you care to look at this, you can look at this promise, this statement throughout the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36, where there's this long uh, section about the Spirit coming and making the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant. In Joel chapter 2, there is the long statement there about, I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon all flesh and all people. I'm going to pour this out. This is going to happen in the final days. And then I want you to look here with me just for a moment about this promise. Is also found in John 1. The promise. In fact, before you go there, go to Acts chapter 1 real quick. We're in John right now. Go one book over to the right. John, Acts, or uh, go into your phone there and... And after you leave Facebook. And, uh, yeah. Uh, notice here uh, where Jesus uh, is, is uh, discussing these matters uh, about the Holy Spirit. Well, he's talking to his disciples. He said, he, in verse one, uh, 4 of chapter 1, He gathered them together and commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised. See, Every one of his disciples knew that this matter about the helper, the advocate, the, the comforter, the different words that are used there, was a promise. This was the promise of the new covenant. In fact, if you study Jewish theology and Jewish writers, you'll understand that the understanding of the coming of the Messiah is the coming of the Spirit. That's what would designate or typify or indicate that, that the Messiah is here. And so Jesus promises this here, the Spirit, because it's the Father's promise. Now turn back left and go to John 1. I want to I look at something here that uh, for me, over the last several couple of months, has been a really, for me, it's been a growing edge in this area. Jesus uh, here is uh, being declared by John the baptizer. And uh, that was before he was a Baptist. He was just the baptizer. He, uh, <laughs> then he became a Baptist later. Um, you know, uh, but in this declaration by by John, John says here, if you begin in verse twenty nine, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, "Behold, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sin of the world." This is he on behalf of whom I said, "After me comes a man, who has higher rank than I, for he existed before me." I did not recognize him, but that he might be recognized to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending on him as a dove from heaven and remained on him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just talk to you just for a second about this promise. Because I have an opinion here. I know that's a surprise to you. I have an opinion here. This whole truth about the Holy Spirit, it's my judgment as I've been in ministry and been with people that we have in some sense failed to declare this promise. We're clear as crystal that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? We got that. 
How clear are we that he is the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit? When's the last time you heard that? When's the last time when you heard someone say, this is the message of John? In fact, I want to say this to you. Uh, uh, several years ago, I had a professor that said to me, you should preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remember me, me saying that? You, you heard that? Yeah, what do, you, what do you preach to yourself? Some of us have preached this truncated, reduced understanding of the gospel that Jesus is just the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But John here says, he's also the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest to you that if you're going to preach the gospel to yourself, if I'm going to preach the gospel to myself, we've got to have the real gospel here that includes both of these. That Jesus not only comes to take our sin away, thank God for that, he, re he removes our sin, that's negative. He also comes to baptize us into, with, by, that's a preposition we'll look at, with, by, or into the Holy Spirit. That's positive, right? That's the positive nature of the gospel. It's not just removing our failure and our debt, but it's empowering us, enabling us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when John says this promise, listen, this is the one. He not only takes away the sin of the world, he not only is the Lamb of God, He is not only the one who deals with our debt of sin, He's also the one that baptizes us, immerses us, brings us into the experience of the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest that we've reduced the gospel to simply forgiveness. I've said to you before in my judgment on this that we've understood God's work in our life as pardon. And I'm thankful for that, aren't you? Aren't you glad Jesus forgave you? Aren't you glad you've been pardoned? Aren't you glad that the, the Lamb of God took away the sin of the world? The question for me always is, do I have any power for living? I've been pardoned. Do I have any power for living? Is it just that I now go through life knowing I'm forgiven, I'm, I've got the forgiveness thing taken care of, or do I have power? Not through trying harder, not through discipline, not through me trying to give more effort, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do we talk enough about this? I'm going to tell you that the New Testament is the New Testament because of this promise. The New Covenant is the New Covenant because of this promise. The New Life is the New Life because of this promise. The new creation is a new creation because of this promise. Everything, in my judgment, is understood both by Jesus with my pardon as Lamb of God and power through the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what? This, this, this makes us nervous, doesn't it? Because we've seen excesses on television. You know, I, I tell my students... One of the worst things that ever happened was when television started, you know, or we started televising religious services. Yeah, I mean, people are worshiping God and they're singing, they're going, look like they're passing a kidney stone. I think, man, what are you doing up there? In chapel, they're like, I know, going, man, you look like you're in pain. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd look at what's wrong with that guy? You know, we've seen excesses. We know that. The, the, the devil always tries to get us to leave something completely by making it an excess, you know? I know I'm, 
I'm not, I'm not a financial planner, but you know, I, I hear guys say all the time because there are some excesses in the stock market, you shouldn't have any stocks. Yeah, that's because they don't sell them. <laughs> it's always excess. But here it is that he said that Jesus, this is the one who baptizes you into, with, there in verse 20, uh, 34, 33, he's the one who baptizes you in. Now the word baptizo, that word literally means to immerse. Uh, it's the word that's used in classical Greek to mean to sink a ship. When it gets sunk, it's baptizo. Now, I'm not here to talk about baptismal formulas, okay? Sprinkling, you know, putting a wash rag on your head or, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to deal with what, how you were baptized. What I'm saying is this word means to be immersed in the Spirit. This means to be introduced to, immersed, involved in the life of the Spirit. And G, or John says here, the preaching of the gospel or the promise that he brings is the nature of the Holy Spirit. I, again, I'm not trying to be funny or about baptismal formula. I say put a wash rag on you. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to say if you're sprinkled or you're immersed or whatever it was. I, I, that's, that's beyond the pale here. What we're talking about is living in, by, through, and with the power of the Holy Spirit who is available, who is the promise, who is the birthright, who is the right of every child of God. You know where the challenge is, is this. Here's where the challenge is. All throughout the New Testament, it's assumed. Titus 2, if you want to go like we were regenerated by the Spirit. John 3 that says, if you're not born of the water and spirit, you, you, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. You're not even saved. You know? So, so the idea of the spirit in terms of our salvation is clear. The challenge seems to be in the epistles when Paul and others are writing to churches that are struggling. You know, you ever notice that? Early Christians struggled. Did you ever read Corinth or, or Corinthians? I told you before, you know, people say, oh, if we could just get back to the early church. And I'm going, man, not the church at Corinth. I don't want to go back to that one. That place was crazy. It's very fascinating that Paul, in all of this correction, in all of this dealing with the church about their life, never says, hey, your problem is you don't have the Spirit. That would have been my assumption. <laughs> he didn't say, you need the Holy Spirit. That's what he, didn't say. he didn't say that. He says, here's what you need. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to open your life up. You need to be open to the presence of the Spirit in your life and be filled. He's already there, but to be filled. Now, I read a guy the other day, we, when we think of filled, we think of like a cup. You know, it's filled or it isn't filled. I want to give you another image. Being filled with the Spirit might be, might be like a sail on a sailboat. That once the sail is up, the filling is the power to move that boat across the water. The filling of the Spirit is to, to open my life. It's now fill and, and use me or do whatever you will with my life. It, it, it's, it's to move me along. Or, or Paul will say in Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit. Take your step. Walk. Follow the Spirit. There's never any statement like you need the Holy Spirit to any of these people. It's always you need 
to be filled, open your life and let the wind of the Spirit move you along. Or you need to be walking. Now, now here's why this doesn't happen. In my judgment, it's my opinion. I have a couple of opinions. I know you've been surprised by that. The reason I'm not filled or the reason you're not filled with the Spirit is you don't have any need. What do you need the Spirit for? You know, I mean, most of us work at jobs that we are pretty competent at. Most of us have families that we're capable of managing to some degree. We can handle. It's fascinating to me that our capacity for the Holy Spirit to work in our life is always correlated with our inadequacy. I said years ago, this it's your inadequacy that creates your capacity for God to work in your life. Just watch it. When you and I think we've got everything nailed down, we have very little capacity for the Spirit. Very little need for the Spirit. Very little awareness for the Spirit. It's when our inadequacy gets cranked up. When things begin to happen that are out of our, and of course, it's, you know, control, I think, well, it's an illusion anyway. But we live in that, right? It's when, it's when we recognize our inadequacy. You know, what I tell my students is this. You know, you're, again, your life may be in great, I hope it is. I mean, I'm not suggesting we just go out and cause conflict. I can do that if you care for me to, but I can create it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I can do that. But I, but I say to my students, I say, the reason you have little need for the Spirit is because you've got your life pretty locked down. Can I tell you how to unlock it? Here's a way. Here's a way for you to become more aware of your need and my need for the Spirit. Get involved in real ministry with real people that have real problems. Do that. Get involved with real people who have real needs and real problems. You will be forced to recognize your need. See, some of us are so withdrawn or disconnected, we don't need the Spirit. I'm, I'm not trying to talk at you. I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm just saying, what do we need the Spirit for? Just to be nice? Just to be good? Most of y'all are nice. I mean, with the exception of a few of you. you know. I, I've got you figured out. Right. If we understand that the entire New Testament that makes it new is the promise of this Holy Spirit. And I don't have a formula for you. And I don't have six steps to being filled with the Spirit. And I don't have some magical way to make it happen. It's the birthright of every child of God to claim it. To claim it. To live each day to say, I'm going to live this day filled with the Spirit. By God's grace for Him to fill me and lead me and guide me. And to the best of my ability, I'll respond to every nudge, every matter. I'll try to understand what it is. I'm not just going to run around, you know, impulsively. But I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to fill me and use me today. I pray it every morning. I pray it every morning. Lord, today, without you, I can do nothing. And I'm going to start this day 
by saying, fill me afresh, fill up the sail. Here we go, fill the sail up for me to live by the Holy Spirit's power. I find him to be faithful. He's not saying, again, this word baptize. He's not saying you need a little dose of the Holy Spirit. You need a little drink of the Holy Spirit. He's saying you need to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. It's baptizo. It means to go under. It means he's, he's the one who takes you under and brings the presence of the Spirit into our lives. I, I know, you know, I, I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of study on this area because I know people want a formula. There's only one formula that I know. And it's a word we don't use very often anymore. It's this. Surrender. Just surrender. Say, so you know what? I give up. I, I want your presence in my life. I give up. I quit. I'm not going to try to run this thing. I'm going to let you. To the best of my ability. You know, I've told students before, if you don't know if the Holy Spirit's guiding you, just don't do anything. Just relax. You, you, you know, you, I don't respond to every thought that goes to my head. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Whew. You know, I told you last week, there's, there's a way to kind of start factoring through that kind of thing. I'm not, I'm not talking about every impulse you have, every idea you have, it's the Spirit causing you to do everything. No. What it is is saying, I'm, I surrender. I surrender to you. And to the best of my ability, to my understanding, to my awareness, I'm going to let you fill me and I'm going to walk. And when I step out of line, by the Spirit's prompting, I will step by the way, let me show you. Boy, this is not my note, so what else is new? Uh, look at Galatians chapter 5. You know, uh, I've been real concerned. I, even last week when I, when I taught, uh, I'm always concerned about what, I, what I'm realizing more and more in my, in my life and other people is this kind of shame-based Christianity. You know? You ever run into that? Yeah, if you can't do it right, don't do it. If you fail, it just proves you're a failure. A friend of mine said it this way. And even when you succeed, my friend said it this way. Every success you have as a Christian becomes another opportunity for you to be shamed. Every, every opportunity of success that you have becomes another opportunity for you to be shamed. You know, Cliff, you did a really good job on that. Really, I got to do that again. This shame thing is deep, deep. Every success and every progress in a person's life who's shame-based becomes just another opportunity for failure and shame again. Because if I do it once right, I better be able to do it twice or the third year. Is this making sense to you? We do this in church. We do this in Christianity where people are shame-based. Notice this in Galatians chapter 5. Now, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to balance this idea of Jesus as Lamb of God and the promise of the Spirit. Notice here in verse 25 of Galatians 5, it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You might want to underline that word walk. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another. Now, you know these chapter titles weren't in the original manuscripts, right? It just keeps going. That's just to help you locate verses. So the thought continues. So walk. if we live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. Not boasting. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, even, even if anyone is caught in any trespass. 
You who are spiritual, filled with the Spirit, restore the one in the spirit of gentleness, each of you looking to yourself that you'll not be tempted. I want you to notice something here. The word trespass in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, is the Greek word peripto, which means to misstep. Notice there, in two verses, you've got the Bible's teaching here. If we're living by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. Let's walk. But you know what? Even if any of you misstep in your walking, what should we do? Give up, forget it, you know, just realize you didn't, you didn't pray enough. What does he say? You who are what? Spiritual do what? Restore them how? Gently. Yeah, gently. You know, we're, try, we're trying to walk by the Spirit. Some of us will misstep. So how do we deal with that? Shame. You know, you should have tried harder, Doug. Of course you should. We know. We should have tried harder. You said you meant this. You, you're, you, you're not serious enough about it. What do we do? We restore them. We're walking and we misstep. Life in the Spirit isn't some magical, isn't some mechanical kind of thing that you're walking by the Spirit and you'll never misstep again. There's the pardon side. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And the walking in the Spirit is the power side. Does that make sense? Doug, you... I find it interesting that you put that picture up of Nicholson because growing up in my faulty thinking, that's how the Spirit would talk to me when I took oh, yeah. that step. <clears throat> and so, Ryan put that up there because I was like, yeah, that's the Spirit I was oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to. Okay. Yeah, that's a, he's, for the recording, he's saying that that picture Nicholson, you know, can you handle the truth, is the voice that he heard as a kid when he thought the Spirit was dealing with him. I, it's pretty common. A lot of people. You know. At our school, we tell students that the number one thing we're trying to teach students in Mid-America Christian University, Pam Barton's helping us great with this. Do you know what we're trying to teach ministry majors above everything else? We're trying to teach them Bible and theology. We're trying to teach them how do they know when they hear God. That's pretty important. You know, just sort of. <laughs> How do you know? What does he sound like? What's his voice? Is he, is he like this? Is he like, you don't know that? Or is he saying, look, you misstepped. You misstepped. But those that are spiritual will restore them. I just think it's fascinating that this talk about walking in the Spirit, which is the goal, is followed by the next verse, if you misstep. Notice, if anyone, or brethren, even if somebody is caught in a misstep. That's what the word trespass means, peripto. Caught in a misstep. You that are spiritual, restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Can I say it here, Doug, for us? You, I just want to tell you, in my judgment, if, if I'm reading this right, if the spiritual are able to be gentle, wouldn't it be true that God, who is supremely spiritual, is going to be gentle? Seems reasonable to me. You know, all those things we hear our parents or our coaches or people before us, those are just echoes of our past. Echoes of our past. So the promise here of the Spirit... I, you know, again, I don't have a formula for you. I, I would just hope that all of us would go this day and decide 
that I'm going to live my life to my own understanding, believing that this promise is for me. You know, I, I, I tell you, I, this is how deep it goes. The other day when we flew back from a Kentucky, uh, Becky went with me to this, to this uh, training session. I may have told you this. I'm almost old that, you know, I probably don't start mouthing the words when I start going through it like that. It always <laughs> makes me. Okay. We're, we're, we're needing to change our plane because we need to get back earlier. And I made a late uh, connection because we couldn't get to Atlanta, blah, 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 all of that. And so I just finally went up to the desk and I said, hey, can you get me on that plane? Can, can you just get me on that plane? I, we need to get on that plane to get home earlier. Sure, sure. How much is it going to cost me? <laughs> they said 50 bucks. And I said, I looked at Becky. She goes, pay it. <laughs> so I'm looking at the person and they're doing all this. And, and, uh, 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 and I said, okay, who do I pay? Who do I pay? She goes, it's not let me charge you. Praise God. <laughs> it's not let me charge you. I said, really? Are you sure? Yeah, it won't let me charge you. So just go get on the plane. So I got on the plane. Sat down. Here's my initial thought. God did that because he loves Becky. <laughs> First thought that came to my mind. First thought that came to my mind. Okay? And he does. You know what never came to my mind? Because of me. Never. Never crossed my mind. Why is that? We've associated the Spirit at times with His harsh, demanding presence instead of the one who is the promise of the New Testament to say, I'm here to do something for you, Cliff, you cannot do. I'm here to bring not only the forgiveness of your sin, which is so important. I've come here to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I don't know what that always looks like, except it means that I'm living in dependence, in surrender to the Spirit. That may look different in your life than my life. It may look different in somebody else's life. But I'm learning to respond. I'm learning to respond to that voice that says, I'm here to help. I'm here to help. I'm here to guide you. You know, we, we always, when things happen, we go, well, I wonder why God did that. You know why? Because he's just that cotton pick. That's from East Texas. He's that cotton picking good. That's why. People say, I just don't understand. I just don't deserve this. I know. Get over it. He's that. Remember, we used to call this thing the gospel. It's called the good news. It's not the, it's sort of good news, but you could get in trouble over this if you're not careful news. That's what I heard. This is sort of good news unless you get messed up and it's not so good news. That's euangelion, but galizomai. Just making sense. I wish we would all just open our hearts and say, God, there's got to be more to this. Than me. There's got to be more to this than just forgiveness, as wonderful as it is. There's got to be a presence that makes this different than Judaism or Islam or Buddhism or every other religion. They got a book, we got a book. They got worship, we got worship. They got preachers, we got preachers. They got, they've got routines, we've got routines. What do we have they don't got? 
the internal life of God. The thing that rattled me the most, I'm way off my notes right here, so just relax and <clears throat> we'll finish this next week. But I'm telling you, I've been preaching this to myself for months. The gospel. He is the Lamb of God. And He's the one who baptizes me in the Holy Spirit. Oh, I wish to God I would have known that earlier. I heard it, but I thought, you know what? This is not Cliff. But I remember in seminary, I'm reading and I'm studying. And I remember John Wesley's favorite definition of the Christian life when he said this. He stole this from Charles Scor uh, Henry Scorgill, who was a great Puritan. He was a Reformed guy, but he's still good. <laughs> George, no George knows what I'm saying. He wrote this. He said that this is his favorite. And this, this, this rattled me and shook me to the floor and changed my life. He said this. The Christian life is this. The life of God in the soul of a man. The life of God in the soul of a man. I could take you back to East Stanley Jones School where I parked my car when I read that. And I told you before. I said to God when I read that, I'm not sure there's anybody in here but me. The life of God in the soul of man. Knowing this promise, living, hopefully understanding this promise, has reoriented my life to where when I'm in a situation, I'm, I'm usually asked, not every time I, I fail at this, but I'm usually asking, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? Do you want me to speak? Do you want me to shut up? How do you want me to respond? What do you want to do here? You've got to give me the power to do this. In teaching this class. I mean, I wrote this stuff all down. I've told you before, you know, my, my definition of teaching is only when you hear another voice. That, that, that's when teaching happens. If all you're hearing is cliff, what a monumental waste of time. But when teaching occurs, we start hearing another voice. That voice is the good shepherd who lays his life down. So I, I, I'll, I'll just ask you this. What if this week, every time you speak of Jesus, his love, his forgiveness, his death on the cross, whatever, you also mention that Jesus is the one who bestows or baptizes his followers with the Holy Spirit. I want you to, I want you to make a commitment to do that. To say, you know what, if I talk about Jesus... We always talk about, you know, he forgave me in that wonderful or, you know, Jesus was the son of God. That's great. Or Jesus is coming. Whatever you talk about, you say, but you know, there's something else I've learned about him. There's something else I know about him. He's the one who bestows, baptizes me, gives me the Holy Spirit. All, all, all he's been waiting on is for some room. That's all he's been waiting on is some room. And your life through an illness, through a job loss, through a child that isn't acting right, or through an illness, 
you suddenly discover there's some room in here, right? There's some room in here now. Why? Because I've come to the end of my ability. I've come to the end of my resources here. Job, family, friend, illness, situation. Now there's room. So would you open that room for him? And say, you know what? My life's in pretty good shape right now. Nothing tragic is happening that I know of. Nothing, nothing's really going on that, that I can't kind of control. Except I can't be the kind of person I need to be. I can't respond the way I need to respond. I can't do the things I need to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm opening my life. I think this is related to one other thing and we'll get out of here. The nature of the Spirit. This is says, when He the Helper come. Now that's the promise. <clears throat> Here's His name. Jesus gives that name there in 1526. He refers to Him in 168. But He calls Him Helper again in 167. Now this is a word that is hard to translate. <clears throat> but... It, it, it means a partner, a helper, an advocate, a comforter. It literally is a compound of two words. Para, which means alongside. Kletos, which means to be called. Kaleo is the, the, the root form, but kaleo, kletos. Para our paraclete is probably you've heard it like that, paraclete in anglicized or in English. It literally means someone who is called to the side of another. That's why in Latin they called it advocatus or advocate. Because the, the court called an attorney to be beside you. The court did that. They said, you, you've got to have defense. You've got to, that, that's why they translate advocatus. You know, I've been in a couple of court cases where I've seen people, and you know, whenever the person's in trial, they always have their attorney right beside them. Even when there is being, being a judge or convicted, they have to stand there. This advocate, it's someone who's called along to your side. So, someone who's called along to your side. The, the, the question is this, in my judgment, as I worked through this years ago, I got to thinking about this. It, it, it tells me something about myself or other people. If I think of this term to mean someone who's been called to go alongside with me, someone who's been called to be with me, to assist and help, it, it tells a lot about our understanding of God. Who did the calling? Did you think you did? God, help me. That's how it works. Or did God call him and say, I want you to go be with D. I want you to go be with Jim. I want you to go be with Cliff. I want you to go be with Eric. Who is doing the calling here? God the Father. He is not cheap about this. He's not resistant about this. 
The Greek term here suggests God is the one who's doing the calling. He called him before you ever yelled out. He called him before you and I ever thought we needed help. This is the idea that this matter, that we have one that God called to our side. We didn't have to ask. I, I, I just think, I grew up in a tradition, I just think I thought God was so picky and so cheap. He was like all the Christians I knew. <laughs> right? Who's paying for this? I don't know. He's not that way. He said, I'm going to send the helper. He's the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father about me. You know, I, I thought about this idea. And, and, and at least for me, and this, this may be a good idea or not, it's a partnership. Uh, you know that, that Apple came, the result of two guys, uh, uh, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs. It's fascinating reading about those guys is that Wozniak was a brilliant electronics engineer and was the brains of the operation in a lot of ways. Uh, they called him the Wizard of Woz. <laughs> Wozniak was the real technical engineer behind all that. And, and, and Jobs was the visionary, the guy that could see the, you know, kind of the, this is what people will want. He's the guy that was the great promoter, but not the technical side. He did some stuff for Hewlett Packard. He worked with them, did a video game and some stuff like that. And I thought about this, I thought, you know, Wozniak couldn't have made Apple go without Jobs. And Jobs couldn't have made Apple go without Wozniak. There was a partnership there. This is the idea that Jesus is saying. You got a partner here. You got somebody who's been called to your side to be with you. He's helper. He's advocate. He's comforter. But you have a partner here who's ready to help at any minute able to be with you and enable you to be helped in life. Do you live with that assurance or awareness? Do I live with that assurance or awareness? Or do I feel like I have to call God into my life? Got to, hey, come here, I need your help. No, somebody already called him. The Father. For me, if you will, this partnership has been the real concern for my own life. That I understand that God called this Holy Spirit to me. I didn't do the calling. I didn't have enough sense to call for him. I didn't have enough awareness to call for him. The Father called him to your side. You believe that? You know, if you, like I said, I thought the only reason God did this plain thing was for Becky because he wouldn't dare be for me. God wouldn't do that. He only does that for good people, nice people, people who mow the yard which I did all summer and got sick. I'm going to leave that alone though. I got, I got sick. Here's what I ask you to think about. This idea, this matter of the Spirit is too big for a formula. Okay? This is making room. Opening your heart. And here's what I want to ask you to do for this is what if today you print the word partner and place it where you see it every day before you leave the house and remember with whom you are in partnership. This is not an equal partnership, by the way. <laughs> this isn't two partners that put 50% in each. This is 99.7 and your 
It's not an equal partnership. I'm not suggesting that. But it is a partnership. You have a partner. You have someone who is with you. There are all kinds of stories about people at business deals and business partners. And whenever they got into trouble or had difficulty, they were to lean on them and trust them and deal with that. I've had friends that have been involved with partnerships that in the process that they learned that their partner was the one that had more of the understanding of the business than they did and they worked together to make it happen. Steve Jobs, Wozniak did the same thing. They were partners in understanding we each bring something, but we don't bring equality in our bringing it together. Do you know you got a partner? He was called to your side. He was called to my side. Folks, this is the truth about the Holy Spirit. And this is the gospel of Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. He is the one who baptizes us, immerses us, brings to us the experience of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes this all new. It's not old. It's not trying harder. It's all new. Let's pray. Lord, we're trying to open our hearts to some truth here. For some of us, we're hearing things we've heard all of our life. It's not for us. We're not good enough. You're fed up with us. You've had it. And yet we know that spiritual people are gentle people. The scripture tells us that. We know that you're for us, not against us. And for some crazy reason, we've not emphasized or understood that the gospel is this truth, not only about you as Lamb of God, but baptizer with the Holy Spirit. All of us are at different places and different situations, but all of us can find a way to make room. Whether it's to finally make room for you by quit trying to control our children or if it's to make room for you to quit trying to control our health or if it's to make room for you to allow you to lead our lives we're all at different places but it's the same spirit who comes at the request of Jesus give us the good sense Lord Jesus to not only believe this, but act on it. To live with our partner who has come to be by our side. Pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.